From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. If the basketball season is a roller coaster, the Gators crested to the top of a big hill in the last week with two critical wins. A raucous home victory against Auburn and a dominant showing on the road against Alabama have the Gators back where they want to be with just one game left in the regular season. And we'll cover that on today's show, along with more news around the Gator Nation with FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter. Also, We'll introduce you to Dante Bassett, the young forward making late-season moves for the Orange and Blue. But first, after losing six of eight games in the SEC and struggling mightily against some of the league's bottom feeders, many were concerned that the Gators might miss out on the NCAA tournament entirely. But with their backs against the wall, they responded with a pair of resounding wins that have seemingly cemented their ticket to the dance. To open this week's roundtable, we asked Chris what changed against the two squads from the Yellowhammer State. Well, I think if you ask the coaching staff, um, you know, when we had our conversation last week, they just lost at Tennessee in a game. They scored 18 points in the first half. And yet uh, it ended up being a 62-57 loss on the road against a very, very good Tennessee team, which by some developments that have happened the last week has a chance to to win the SEC regular season title, at least a share of it. Florida played hard in that game. Uh, showed effort, tweaked some stuff as far as uh, what they were doing offensively in terms of sharing the ball uh, a little bit differently. And they were, if you can be encouraged from a defeat, there was a little bit of that as when they left Knoxville. But at the same time, Adam, they'd lost three straight. They'd lost six of eight uh, SEC games. And they were their backs were against the wall against Auburn coming in. And, of course, uh, that was a huge win, great environment. The atmosphere was fantastic. Florida responded to the home crowd, uh, made huge plays down the stretch. They uh, they beat the demons, if you want to call them that, as far as uh, having a double-digit lead and and blowing that. They were up 14 in against Auburn and fell behind by two uh, a couple times in the second half, but made the plays down the stretch. Kayvon Allen, uh, I think I was pretty hard on him on, in this conversation last week. He had zero points in Tennessee, erupts for 24 uh, against Auburn in the biggest game of the year. Then they take that effort, that energy, that attention to detail on defense. I mean, I was in meetings where they were going over stuff on scouting reports and tape and what have you, uh, going back to the first Alabama game when Alabama came in here and won uh, 68 to 50 in the first game. Their transition defense was awful that day. Uh, they got to see it ad nauseum. And they were, they were on point in this game, Adam, um, which is uh, diametrically opposite to what Alabama was. Alabama looked like a dysfunctional, disorganized uh team florida took advantage of that they took advantage of alabama's mistakes uh they played more connected uh defensively they got stops while they got crashed badly on the in the rebounding category they never gave up uh florida's bigs were almost non-existent if you look at offensive production with, with the exception of keystone and yet they fought uh dante hall was seven for seven 14 points 11 rebounds in the game at alabama he leads the sec in field goal percentage 76 percent. he never misses uh, he had his first game this year without a field goal. He was over two from the floor. You know, it, it just it was just a, a really, really good game on the road. Uh, in a, I don't want to say it was a hostile environment because Florida took the crowd out of the game fairly quickly. 
But this is what Mike White's been talking about since the PK-80. Uh, they played great out in Oregon, but he said, we're, it's not sustainable if we're going to play defense like this. we got to mix in uh, an equal level of, of, of effort and energy and attention to detail on defense. And that's exactly what you've seen the last two games. And because of it, Florida, it's not a matter of conversation whether or not Florida is in the NCAA tournament. They're in. It's just a matter of where, where they'll be seated now. And they have a chance to uh, really upgrade that resume and that seating potential uh, this weekend in their final home game against Kentucky and whatever happens next week in the Southeastern Conference Tournament in um, St. Louis. You know, looking at that defensive performance against Alabama, I guess how sustainable and repeatable is that? Because when Florida plays like that on defense, I think it's clear with some of their weapons that they can probably beat anybody. They're back to the team we were talking about in November, but how do they repeat that going forward, not just against Alabama? Well, I mean, every game's different, but I mean, uh, four for 30 in the first half is probably not repeatable. Uh, Alabama shot at 47% in the second half, but they were trailing by 20 probably most of the time, anywhere from 16 to 28, I think the, the lead discrepancy was. It's, it's all about playing hard. You play hard, you put yourself in, in better defensive position, and, you, and that translates to offense, and um, that's what this team needs a sustainability with regards to effort and energy. And um, they've done it two games in a row. They weren't perfect against Auburn, but Auburn will do that to you. Uh, they were near perfect against Alabama, but at the same time, I mean, Alabama, they missed 19 shots in a row. I think we, Florida was ridiculed a few weeks back going to Georgia and missing 20 at 21. I think they missed 17 straight or 16 straight at one point. It can happen to a team where they can't make a shot and they're trying harder to make a shot and the other team is playing good defense. So, Kentucky's obviously a better team than Alabama. I think they're playing a lot better. They're, they're a better team than when Florida played them uh, January, uh, I think it was 24th in Lexington. So we're going to see what happens. But uh, this is a good time to be playing the way Florida is. I'd much rather – would you rather be Avery Johnson, who came to Florida and won by 18 on February 3rd, or would you rather be Mike White, who went to Tuscaloosa and won his second straight game against a high RPI team, get it on the road, and is uh, they're going in the home stretch of their season, playing arguably the, with their best two games uh, in, in SEC play. You mentioned earlier the idea of uh, exercising demons to, to an extent. And, and going back to the Auburn game, it seemed like that was a really important storyline following that because it, it did look like so many other games for the Gators this year that had different endings. How important bigger picture was it to win a game like that against a team like Auburn when it looked like it was going the same way as so many others? It was huge because uh, you have to fight the the urge to look around at each other and, or maybe not look each other in the eye and saying, uh-oh, this could be happening again. And you never want to be in that place because, I mean, that just undermines your confidence. And ha- now having said that, Florida kind of put themselves in a position late where the circumstances were difficult because they were missing free throws. Um, they could have put that game away a little bit earlier. But, man, huge shots down the stretch, whether it was Kayvon Allen, a couple of Kayvon Allen threes late. Unbelievable pass from Chris Chioza to Jalen Hudson for the layup. And three-point play, I think, was 26 seconds left that right after um, after Auburn had tied the game. Uh, Auburn was expecting Florida to you know rely on probably a three-point shot. And uh, Jalen Hudson saw the play, saw the defense overplaying and slashed to the basket uh, without the ball. And Chris Chioza found him. Like he's been known to do, and uh, you know, plays down the stretch when they hadn't done that. So um, kudos to Florida. Now uh, the whole key to that was, and what the guys talked about after the game, the coaches and the players were, you know, doing it one game is great, doing it at home is great. We, we our fans are happy. It was a great win. Can we do it again? And they did. Um, 
Now they're asking, I've done it two times. They're, okay, can you do it at home against Kentucky on senior day? And what will absolutely be an electric atmosphere in Chris Chios's final home game? His next assist will break the all-time school record. It's going to be a, the best senior day here since that uh, one for the ages one in 2014. And uh, I just think that we're, where the Gators are right now, they can win another game against Kentucky, which is a, a sweep Kentucky. You have a, a, another um, top 20 RPI game. Um, just keep adding this resume and keep improving uh, what will be your seating when the selection committee sits down in that room um, a week from Sunday. I think that there's such a whack-a-mole nature to following a team when you have one thing that's going the wrong way, then it turns around, and then something else maybe falls off. I think the, the, the biggest thing right now for the Gators in that sense is Kayvon Allen is now shooting the basketball and he's scoring, so that's the thing that pops up. But on the flip side, you mentioned a moment ago, a Chris Chioza has really struggled shooting the basketball lately. Other things, he's rebounding the ball and obviously dishing out the assists, but you talked about the free throws and his overall numbers as well. Shooting the basketball have been problematic. So what's the concern level for Chioza shooting the ball? And on the flip side, how encouraging is it to see where Kayvon Allen is at this moment? Let's go to Kayvon first. Uh, I mean, his game against Auburn was classic Kayvon. If you talk about his ability to elevate and get a shot off and hit timely threes, we've seen that before. But what we saw uh, in that game, but even more so, Adam, at Alabama, he got aggressive to the point of driving to the basket. He went to the free, he had four free throws, of course, made them all. He shoots 97% from the free throw line in conference play now. That's what he has to do because if the defense has to honor a Kayvon Allen driving to the basket, it just changes things to what Florida can do offensively and brings the kick out back into play. But more importantly, if he can drive into contact and get to the free throw line, it's almost an automatic two points every time. It's easily been the most encouraging thing over the last two games. He's coming back from being the, being the Kayvon we all know. Now, as far as uh, uh, Chioza, uh, yes, he has struggled. I think he's shooting. It's right around 30%, I think, um, over his last five or six games. But uh, it hasn't inf- affected his confidence. He had nine rebounds at Alabama Tuesday night. Uh, he only had four assists, but he only had two turnovers. He ran the team. I mean, he he was really, really good. And uh, uh, I think um, the game before that against Auburn, career-high 12 assists. So he's doing his job. Uh, it Would it be better if he got back on the three-point train like he was a little early in the season? Yes. Uh, would it be better if he didn't he shoot any free throws at Alabama? So we don't know if, if he's off that uh, eight of the that last nine miss free throw train that he was on at the end of the Auburn game. So that remains to be seen. But uh, uh, it's hard to, to nitpick at what Chris Chioza has done for this team this year. I think he's put himself back in the conversation for uh, first team all SEC. But it should be it, it, I mean, as far as seniors, uh, uh, what a day that'll be for that kid to be there with his family and. I imagine it's going to be quite the uh, ovation from the crowd, something, um, like I said, as good as any ovation since maybe Patrick Young, Scotty Wolverkin, Casey Prather, and Will You Get walked that, made that walk uh, in 2014. I imagine a lot of those cheese heads from a few weeks will be back out for that, no question about it, on I, Saturday. I, I might even wear one. I, don't, <laughs> I have to get an extra large one for Scott. <laughs> it's two together. <laughs> so that's happened on Saturday uh, at noon. Uh, meanwhile, something that's been going on this week is Dan Mullen's speaking tour, the first part of that speaking tour. And uh, Scott, I know you were with him in Jacksonville. What were some of the highlights and, and takeaways from that evening? Well, you know, Mullen's out uh, taking a pre-spring game tour, really a little bit unusual. Uh, most of the time in the past, these uh, kind of events have all come after the spring game. 
but there's a few of them uh, before the spring game this year. And part of that, Adam, obviously it's a new coach, uh, a new energy, new excitement around the program. He's trying to uh, take advantage of some of that buzz. And he wants the spring game. He's trying to get as many people to the spring game as possible. And, uh, you know, in Jacksonville, uh, at the event over there uh, at Everbank Field, you know, he talked a lot about just being back at Florida, obviously, about what they did while he was here, what he learned. But most importantly, just being back here, how excited he is uh, at the opportunity and how really he's trying to stress to the folks. I mean, he's trying to re-energize a fan base that, as we know, I mean, it's it's taken its lumps in, in recent years. I mean, Florida is coming off a four and seven season. Uh, the Gators have had two losing seasons in five years. And when you look at the historical context of this program, these have been some unusual times. Uh, what, three coaching changes in the last uh, decade? So so now here he is uh, trying to uh, revitalize the program. And the big takeaway I had, Adam, was, uh, you know, he, he's still he's getting a lot of questions from fans, obviously, about the team. And, and at this point, he has yet to hold his first practice. So that's not going to happen until me- next month. He's watched a lot of film, uh, talked to the players, met them individually. But until he gets out there and starts evaluating them on the field, there's a lot of questions that he can't answer in that regard. But he is answering what his vision is. And, the, you know, that it's a multi-faceted uh, vision obviously but at the center of it all and I, I said this earlier it's about recreating excitement around the program uh, that he experienced when he was here as offensive coordinator that he thinks uh, Florida fans are accustomed to and uh, he's he's trying to do that and this this tour before the spring game is a way uh, he's trying to do that and uh, you know just get more people thinking about Florida football at a time of year uh, especially after a, a season like they had last year when a lot of people maybe have tuned it out until the fall. Well, also, he and, and some of his assistant coaches seem to be a lot higher on Felipe Franks than, than maybe some fans. Are. I think there was a thought after uh, signing day that this was just going to be Emory Jones to the future, but but maybe we're pulling back on that uh, just a little bit. Well, I mean, they're still very high on Emory Jones, and obviously, the as you know, uh, the most popular guy in, in college football every year is the new quarterback. Emory Jones certainly fits that and has a lot of potential. But I think after getting here and really studying film of Felipe Franks and uh, looking at, you know, what he did in his first season as a starter, there's a lot to like about Felipe Franks. It's a cliche, but you can't coach six foot six uh, and an athletic guy. Those are all natural gifts that he was born with. What they're trying to do in this spring, I'm sure, is trying to see how he adjusts to their offense and see where he is uh, mentally. Uh, in the game and, and see if they can utilize that. Obviously, you may have seen something from the Jacksonville event. Uh, you know, a fan got up there and basically went pretty hard at the quarterback play last year and asked him Mullen the question. And I, I don't remember his exact words, but he it, they were, he was not too kind to the quarterback play. And he basically said, is that going to change with you? And Mullen said, look, you know, we're that's something we're going to work on. That's obviously you got to have a good quarterback to have a good team. That's part of what he's done over his years as a head coach. But he also said, you know, Felipe Franks, his words were, he's got the most arm talent, quote, unquote, of any quarterback he's coached since Cam Newton. And he he included Dak Prescott in that. And what that means, that just means Felipe Franks has a very strong arm, which 
I don't think any of us have watched him play. I mean, if you know football, you know quarterbacks. I think we we know that. It's just a matter of how can he uh, develop a better grasp of the game and the offense to to utilize those physical gifts. So certainly the quarterback uh, battle is going to be something that's watched very closely throughout the spring, as has been the case at Florida really all decade. Brian Johnson, the new quarterbacks coach, uh, you know, he was asked the same last week is, is it possible Emory Jones could be the starter in year one? And he says, well, it's certainly possible. But at the same time, we're going into camp with a total open quarterback competition. And all these guys have a little different skill set. The one advantage that Felipe Franks has over anyone else, besides maybe just pure arm strength, is experience. We'll certainly talk more about this going forward, but let's turn our attention to baseball for the moment. Kevin O'Sullivan guaranteed last week the Gators would not go undefeated, and he was proven right, as they did drop the finale on Sunday at Miami. But they did win the series, and they continued their domination over the Hurricanes in recent years. So what were the overall takeaways from the weekend down in Coral Gables? You know, the the series in Miami, uh, it's an early season series every year. It's always an important gauge for the program going into a season. And and Florida did. They went down there and took the first two games, took the series. They lost on Sunday in a pitcher's duel uh, that, you know, was their first loss of the season. And they won again uh, this week at North Florida. So early season uh, indications, this team's a good team, as expected. I mean, the thing that really stands out about to me so far, Adam, is you know, the hitting is maybe above uh, expectations, but boy, they've got some really nice freshman pitchers, uh, starting with Jack Left, which Tommy Mace, these guys have really done a good job. And O'Sullivan, one of his uh, primary questions going into the season was bridging those innings between your starters and your closer, Michael Byrne. And the first uh, week and a half, I think a lot of those guys are emerging to fill those roles, uh, especially. Leftwich in a uh, midweek start against Florida Atlantic was really nice. Jordan Butler is a, a guy that has pitched really well. He pitched six shutout innings against uh, North Florida Tuesday night. And then, of course, Tommy Mace, uh, the right-hander who I mentioned earlier. You throw those three freshman pitchers into the mix right away and test them out. I mean, Mace and Leftwich threw uh, seven scoreless innings in relief down in Miami. So, again, that's a that's pretty impressive for two guys who joined a very talented staff and just got on campus. Speaking of pitching, Kelly Barnhill threw a uh, perfect game for the Gators softball team this past week, and they're also off to a great start as they uh, head to California. Big tournament for them coming up this weekend. Just, you just roll out of bed and have a perfect game. <laughs> I, think that, I think that's what it is. I mean, last year I, I've, I've lost track of how many there are. Well, this one, Chris, the perfect game on Sunday – came after she threw a no-hitter on Saturday. <laughs> that's what you have. That's what you call having a pretty good weekend. Yeah, that's that's a good weekend. I, actually, I can, I can tell you, she threw a perfect game in high school where she struck out every single batter that she faced. That's probably that, – that's, that's, that's the best stab on any pitcher ever. <laughs> yeah. But talking about a, a different women's team, let's, let's talk about gymnastics here for a second. And unfortunately, not the context with which we want to talk about it, but – Injuries are a part of every sport, and we saw that with gymnastics as well, with Kennedy Baker tearing her Achilles during her floor routine. Uh, Scott, what does this mean big picture for gymnastics, and how does this affect their chances to really compete for SEC and national titles? Yeah, Adam, uh, Kennedy Baker, I mean, that was a big loss. Here you got a senior. and I was at that event Friday night against Arkansas, and things were going really well for the Gators. They put up 
season high scores on two of the three routines before the floor. And here it is at the end of the meet. Kennedy Baker's the last performance of the night. Uh, the place is hopping. There's more than 8,000 people there. And on her second tumbling pass, she does a big flip and lands and immediately she falls to the ground, clutching her foot. And I've been around it sports enough to know it didn't look like she broke an ankle or fractured an ankle or anything, but she grabbed the back of it. You just you thought about the Achilles tendon, and sure enough, she she ruptured the Achilles tendon, had surgery already on Monday, and uh, she's lost for the season. And it, that's a big loss because I mean she she was a dynamic performer on that floor routine, and also uh, you know did the bars and the uh, vault, and uh, was a consistent scorer. So Jenny Rowland's going to have to move her lineup around. She'll move Alicia Bourne, the junior, to that anchor position on the uh, floor. And a couple other young uh, gymnasts, you know, uh, Megan Skaggs and uh, Jasmine Foberg. I mean, they're going to probably take on additional roles uh, to help uh, fill the void left by Baker. The one strength of this team, Adam, maybe compared to Jenny Rowland's first two years, is the depth. Uh, you still have Alex McMurtry, Alicia Bourne, uh, Rachel Slocum, you still have dynamic scores on a lot of events. So if they can pick up those points that Kennedy Baker provided with the different athletes, you know, this is a Florida team, I think, that realistically can still contend for a national title. But, you know, definitely when you lose someone of Kennedy Baker's value, it hurts. Uh, it, it was just an odd, it was probably one of the weirdest in any sporting event I've ever been to because, like I said, it was a very exciting atmosphere. She goes down, the music goes off, and then for about a minute, the place was just hushed, waiting to see if she could get up or if the trainers would have to carry her off. And they eventually did have to help her off, and the crowd gave a nice applause. And, and that was it. It was a very melodramatic, but uh, one that, uh, you know, Florida, their job now as they finish off the regular season and, and enter to the postseason is to get some production from other members of their lineup. As we wrap up with our PAT this week, uh, it is a very, very important week for me because I love the Oscars. You guys know this. And the Oscars are this weekend on Sunday night. Um, I don't know how many of the actual nominees that you guys have seen. I've seen all of them, but who's keeping track? Uh, So my question for you is, what is your favorite movie of last year, Oscar-nominated or not? Well, Adam, I'm, you probably don't know this, but, uh, you know, I, I used to be a, a quite the Oscar uh, connoisseur and, and, and like kind of um, trivia guy. My brother won an Academy Award in 1978 as a student at the University of Bridgeport in Connecticut for the best dramatic film for a collegiate student. And uh, I kind of grew up with him. He used to make these Super 8 movies and he would use me as the flunky in it and what have you. And uh, we, we always kind of really enjoyed it. I used to be heavy into like watching watching these uh these these Oscars and now that there's 10 instead of five it's kind of hard to see them all I have a little bit of a life unlike you so I probably <laughs> I, I can't go to every one of them but as far as being a, a connoisseur of, of, of movies I'm not that anymore but I, I I do love journalism and I love the post and I thought they did just a spectacular job uh with that movie it was the best movie I think I saw last year. I, w- I mean, Dunkirk was visually a, a, a pretty movie. Um, I just thought the story was kind of lacking. I still haven't seen the Winston Churchill movie. I really want to see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, I saw the Three Billboards movie. I thought uh, Frances McDormand was fantastic. I think she probably walks away with that Oscar. 
Um, mm. But if going back a couple of years ago, I thought Spotlight was one of the uh, uh, best journalism movies I've ever seen. Post goes right up next to it. Um, that and all the president's men. There were scenes in it where they actually show them putting together a newspaper like they used to do it with the with the metal with the metal letters and mm. uh, they show the press running and the 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 importance and the and the, and the, the stress on deadline and what have you and obviously that was a a huge huge moment in our country's history and I just thought that uh Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks and Merle Street did a fantastic job laying that out for everybody. Well, Adam, I'm going to confess here that you and Chris are much more. I guess up to date on the movie world than I am. And I have not, my brother has not won an Academy Award, but <laughs> he did stay at a Holiday Inn recently. <laughs> so, you know, but I can tell you this uh, I saw the movie Get Out. Uh, I thought it was entertaining. I was a little surprised to see it as an Academy Award nominee. But again, to go to Chris's point, there are 10 now. Uh, I, I kind of remember when there was only five and you could see them now. Uh, I usually do get to the movies. Uh, eventually on Redbox or HBO or something because so I've always been interested in, in movies and the ones that people consider uh, worthy of an Oscar and performances. Uh, I'm like Chris. I'm an old journalism guy. I love those kind of movies. I really want to see the post. But if you had to ask me what's my best movie I saw last year, wow. Unfortunately, I don't watch as many as I used to just because of my stage of life with three young kids. So I I've seen a lot of the uh, Lego movie. Uh, okay. I've seen a lot of that, which is pretty good. I know that's not going to interest you any, Adam. And then, of course, the uh, what's the the Emoji movie? I'm oh, pretty gosh. up to date on that one. That's going to uh, – that now, the Emoji movie is going to probably win the Razzie, which is the award for the worst movie of the year. That's the night before the Oscars. When you have kids in Netflix, you, you tend to watch a lot of bad movies. <laughs> but I did see – I will be serious here for a second. I did see an interesting movie. It's probably our audience who probably is on this podcast are like, man, what's this guy, Scott? His his tastes are just bad. But there's this great, I thought it was a very, it's slow. It's a British movie. It's called 45 Years. It's about this couple getting ready to celebrate their 45-year anniversary. The, the husband gets a letter from notifying him of this incident 50 years ago. It changes everything. And it features... Chris will know this person, Charlotte Rampling. Yeah, I remember Charlotte yeah. Rampling from um, the the verdict. Yeah. Anyway, she's in the movie. She has a great performance. I, I just watched that maybe three or four weeks ago. It just it was a really good movie. But again, uh, probably it's not going to be a, an Oscar nominated movie or a box office hit. So I'm sorry I didn't chip in a little better here. Again, uh, I did. I'm going to have to get to some of these movies you you guys have seen. That it's actually it's impressive. You know, forty five years was a that was a dark horse contender. So you're almost you're a little too indie even for the Oscars. That's how uh, that's how esoteric you are at the moment. Wow. How does that make you feel? That's uh, what's esoteric mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it out. I mean. Well, in any case, uh, the Oscars are Sunday night, but more importantly, Florida-Kentucky basketball, that is Saturday at noon, and uh, these guys will be writing all about that. You can count on that. Check out FloridaGators.com and also at Gators Scott, at Gators Chris, for everything Florida Gators this weekend. Guys, thank you very much. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Adam. Things don't always click for athletes when they step up to the next level, but seeing them grow is one of the joys of following sports. Dante Bassett missed his entire freshman year due to injury and was slow to make an impact this season. 
but his physical presence has proven critical late in the year, and he moved into the starting lineup in Florida's marquee win against Auburn. We caught up with the Oakland native to find out more about him and his late-season search, beginning with that career-best showing against the Tigers. I can tell for like um, from the beginning of the game, it was just um, offensive rebounding. I knew I had um advantage um, rebounding the ball, and I knew that's what the, my team wanted me to do. So I just try to, you know, just focus on defending and just rebounding as best as I can. When and how did you find out you'd be getting your first career start, and what was your reaction when you found that out? Um, I actually didn't know um until like. 30 minutes before the game, you know, when we just all like, like in there, like watching film and stuff, usually, you know, and, um, I see my name on the board, you know, uh, as a starter. So I, uh, I tried uh, not to let it, you know, overwhelm me. I just, you know, I just go out there and just do my job. And I just really wanted to help my teammates. That was like the biggest thing in my mind is, you know, just like not, not let my team down. So I just want to go out there and just play hard. You've been described as being a really physical player, and that's something that Coach White has talked a lot about, this team not having a lot of. How much has the coaching staff talked to you about really bringing that physicality to the court and helping the team in that department? Um, they talked to me at, um, about that a lot, uh, especially in practice. You know, just, they always tell me you know, to keep being physical and, and don't shy away from contact and you know, like keep crashing the boards and just basically do all the little things that a lot of players you know, normally want to do. So um, that's what I really try to focus on, you know, because I know if no one's bringing that to the table and then, like, someone has to, you know, so that's what you try to focus on, you know, continue to be in physical and stuff and just do all the dirty work. How do you feel like you're doing those things helps push other guys to do it? Is that, I mean, is there a contagious nature to it? If you challenge someone physically, are they more likely to then answer that call? Uh, yeah, of course, of course. Um, definitely in practice and um in the game, like uh, in the beginning of the game, you know, I got a, I took a big charge, and I felt like they gave like our team the early momentum, you know, to like yeah, you know, like rally us together, and um stuff like that. I feel like yeah, um it giving, like gives the team momentum and like confidence and stuff. So yeah, yeah, of course. If we can go back to the early part of your story, can you tell us where you grew up and a little bit about your family? Uh, I grew up in the Bay Area, California, um, Vallejo. I uh, spent most of my time um Oakland. Um, mom is from California. My dad's from California. Um, so it's kind of like born and raised there. Uh spent a couple years in Mississippi uh, as a teenager. Moved back to California. Uh, spent more, like, a couple more years there. And then I moved to Florida for um, basketball. So um, I went to high school in Florida. So I liked Florida a lot. So I was like, yeah, might as well go to college here too. So there I am. And you've uh, so you've bounced around a lot, obviously, and at some point basketball really took hold there. So when did basketball become important to you? Actually, I first started playing basketball my ni- uh, my ninth grade year. That, that's pretty late. Before that, yeah, yeah. Before that, I really didn't. I mean, I played like you know, like like street ball, but I never played for like a team, like a, an um, organization. Before that, so um, yeah, I got the game pretty late. So I had a, I knew from the jump, I had to like work like really harder than. Everyone else, because uh, like I started so late. Why did you become interested in basketball? What what happened in ninth grade that that flipped that switch? It's actually like um, when I was in Mississippi, you know, it was like a uh, like a real rough time there, and um, my mom seen me going like um down like a bad road, 
So um, she just kind of just sent me back to my dad's in California where I can like get away from the, you know, from from the trouble and drama and stuff from there. Actually, I was just like, I was about like six six, you know, wasn't couldn't dunk, couldn't do anything. But then my high school coach seen me from um, high school in California, and he was like, "Hey, she's crying for the team." So I was like, "Okay, give it a shot." Made it, and um, I kind of start playing, you know, just starting to love the game. And then that's when I met my um, AAU coach, Coach Dream, and he actually showed me, like, what basketball can take me to and take my family to and take my family out of and stuff. So I really just start, you know, pouring my heart out into the game and just really working on my craft. So once you became a pretty well-known basketball player, you were one of Coach White's first recruits. Can you tell us about right. that process for you and how you got connected with the Gators? It was crew me um senior high school. Coach May came and watched me and you know, Coach White came a couple of times. And um as soon as I went on my visit there I knew I knew that's what I wanted to be because like I can tell it felt like more of um a brotherhood between the the coaching staff and players. I felt like everyone was like connected there and like on the same page and stuff. And uh, you know, campus is beautiful, you know, it just just felt like home. Now, once you got to Florida, it was not smooth sailing as you suffered a stress fracture in your foot and it caused you to, to miss all of last year. Uh, what was the most difficult part of that rehab and, and how did you overcome that? Um, rehab rehab was tough. Um, being like, that was my like first big, big injury. Um, it kind of like hit me hard, especially being my first year, you know, I had high, like high expectations for myself. And um, that kind of took me hard because it was my first injury and stuff. So I just had to like, you know, step back, you know, just 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 take time with God and stuff to reevaluate, you know, and just tell myself that everything's, everything's going to be okay. And I'm just I just try to re- um, attack rehab aggressively so I could just you know have a have a good season. Um, when I could um, get back, it, it, it was a lot of times I was like, oh, I don't want to do this no more. And that's when you know the coaching staff, you know, was was always in like in my corner. Like, hey, you know, a lot of players go through this, mm-hmm. you know, like a lot of stuff that, you know, that players go through, we you know, when they get hurt and they have to like sit out for that period of time. There's a lot of questioning themselves and, you know, saying you know, like, why me? But, you know, I had to um, overcome that and just really focus on getting better. I'm sure it was hard to see at the time, but now in hindsight, what do you feel like you gained the most from that experience? How did you grow the most from it? Um, I grew the most from that. I say um, physically because that whole year I just you know I just set out um, lifted weights with Preston Green, and um, he really changed my body. So I can say that um, lifting weights for that time really helped. And just watching the game, um, like I said, you know, I, I, I guess start playing like my freshman year of high school, so I was still new to the game, and you know, like like, like the cause of everything, and just trying to really get a grasp of um, of everything. And um, watching, you know, like a, like the great players we had last year, you know, Devin Robinson, Casey Hill, Cam Berry, Justin Leon, um, really showed showed me like what to bring to the table next year. And speaking of some of those guys, I'm curious with all the players you've had a chance to encounter now over your, your first couple of years, which ones have had the biggest impact on you? Who have you learned the most from on this team? I say um, from last year, I say Casey Hill. And um, Justin Leon, um, Justin Leon just you know he he just showed me how like to like day to day just don't change like be the same player you know like just work hard every single day. And KCO just you know just just told me like the mental parts of the game you know he will he would teach me a lot of the calls you know just teach me some of the stuff I don't know 
And uh, this year, I can say Cheese does that a lot. You know, not only with me, like with the other younger guy, you know, Mike Okoru. He just, like, teaches us, like, the game a lot, like, in practice and not a practice, you know. Yeah, those guys really um really help with the, like, our development and stuff. So I know you haven't had a chance to play with these guys, but I, I've heard that you do look up to Tim Duncan and Kevin Durant. I'm curious yeah. what you admire about those guys in particular. I just like Tim, like Tim Duncan game. Like his game is so like it's like old school, but you know it works. You know, like like the face up game. You know, the the post game and uh, really his longevity playing the game. You know, he played the game for 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 a lot of time, which you know, which a lot of players his age can do. And, you know, he set a lot of records and stuff, and it's kind of kind of reason why I picked twenty one. He's like a good like model. Um, to look afterwards and like in order to, you know, like to just get better. And um, Kevin Durant, you know, Kevin Durant is an all-around player. You know, I just, just love watching him play. It's like a like a major player. Yeah, there are a lot of nicknames on this team, and most guys seem to have multiple nicknames. You are one of those individuals. So can you tell us right. about all of your nicknames and where they came from? Uh, I can't even tell you all of them. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> what are the main ones? I know there's a few main ones. Um... Uh, usually, like my like my, my like my nickname nickname is Teasy, and um, I know Coach May called me Teasy Novert. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, little Teasy Novert. Um, it's um, I can't really think right now, but it's just like like a lot of nicknames you know, like the coaches you know gave me the players gave me last year. Little funny names and stuff like that. You know, fans have taken notice of uh, of that one braid that you have in the front that's got the beat on it. I'm curious, is there a story behind that? Is that a lucky braid, or when 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 did you uh, start rocking that? Um, actually, you know, it was just like something like I just started twisting my hair like a minute ago, and it was like a little twist, and I just kept twisting, and like it just locked up. So it's like a little dread. I don't know. I just like it. Um, some different, you know. I don't see a lot of people with it, so I always try to like you know step outside the box and. Do something different. Is it a good luck charm of some? Are, are people like touching it for good luck before games yet, or, or not quite? <laughs> not quite. No. no. <laughs> okay. Uh, I heard you were in a video production club in high school. Can Can you tell us a right. little bit more about that, and and if that's still an interest that you have? Uh, yeah, it was. Um, it was in uh, California. It was um, Bay Area Digital Arts. Is like this. Um. This kind of thing we did with our high school, you know, we had to pick like three things to join when we first like got there, and I just joined that. And um, yeah, I joined it because I just like you know like movies, you know, I always love movies and watching movies. So yeah, we just break down movies and stuff, and we kind of like shot a couple movies ourselves. Yeah, it was something fun, you know, something fun as like like a like a second thing to do, you know, besides basketball. So it's a fun hobby. What are some of your favorite movies? If you're a, a movie guy, um, I love the Godfather, um, Godfather series, um, Godfather one, Godfather two. I really love like old like gangster mob movies, you know, Goodfellas. Um, I love um, Peyton Full, um, Get Rich or Die Trying. Yeah, those are probably like my favorite. I've also read that you enjoy cooking in your spare time. When did you discover that right. you had a, a talent in the kitchen? Um, just um, just going up as like the. The second to the youngest, um, I was with like you know like my mom and my sister a lot, and just seeing them cooking the kitchen and stuff, and being like the like the sous chef, like right there next to them, like chopping up onions and stuff with them. I just kind of just just got like a, I know just got a, like a it's like a second nature thing. It's something I'm really good at doing. So, so what are some of your favorite things to cook, and uh, do you ever end up cooking for your teammates? You, well, I used to like um, 
last year, you know, when we, um, when I was shared doing with um, Jalen Hudson and um, my old teammate Eric Hester and them, I used to you know, like cook stuff and the whole house used to eat it. I'd say my favorite thing to cook is um, ah, that's tough. Um, I say for something quick and like easy, I just make like shrimp pasta with like garlic bread and something, or I usually just make like spaghetti with meatballs or like um, rotel dip. Just um pretty good have like have that um knowledge you cook, especially being in the, like in college and stuff, so it comes to handy and save me a lot of money to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. that's a, a good skill to have. A uh, couple more things yeah. for you. You obviously started your life on the West Coast, then you, you kinda came over yeah. the East Coast. So having been on both sides of the country, I'm curious if you can give us some some pros and cons of, of East Coast versus West Coast. West Coast it has like like the weather of the, like Florida, you know, it's minus humidity. So it has that, you know, the 80 degree weather, but it still has that breeze you get, you know, from the bay. So um, that's a positive. Can't really find a negative about West Coast, you know, a little bias there. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, East Coast, um, I say the beaches, you know, like they have really good beaches over here, Clearwater Beach and stuff. That's you know, me being being from NorCal, you know, you don't really see that many beaches as you do here in Florida. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a positive. You're getting things back to basketball. Fans talk so much about the tournament this time of year. Are you in? Are you out? Those kind of questions. How much does that get discussed in the locker room, and and how much is that on the players' radar? Um, that really um get this uh discussion in the locker room that much. We just try to. You know, like we know we just have to take it one game at a time, you know, we can't like look forward, you know, pay attention to the scouting report and pay attention to the game plan and just try to close out the season good. Final thing for you, as you continue to grow and develop and get more playing time, uh, what parts of your game are you most focused on improving? I say my um endurance, um um for um first and all foremost. Um I say my my, my post um Offensive, defense, and on the ball handling, pretty much all around. Um, I'm gonna try to get you know be an all-around player. So um, pretty much everything. Well, Dante, we really appreciate your time and uh, wish you a lot of luck as you move forward and continue getting on the court. Okay, thank you. And that's gonna do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. The regular season comes to an end for basketball as they welcome Kentucky on Senior Day, which you can see on Saturday at noon on CBS. Then come back here next Thursday as we prepare you for the SEC tournament and more. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you at the Odome.